From Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network, this is Between Sundays, a conversation about finding the sacred in the everyday. I'm your host, Bobby Sockold. Coffee is a big part of our culture at Commons. In fact, coffee is a big part of our culture in general. In my own home, we have four different modes to brew coffee. We have a French press, an AeroPress, an old Breville espresso machine, and a stovetop mocha pot. Four different ways to make just one cup of coffee. And there are only two people in my home. I love coffee because of the daily ritual it offers me. And our community loves coffee because of the connection it offers all of us. I wrote notes for this intro in my neighborhood cafe where two strangers sat side by side with coffee in hand and got to know a little bit of each other's stories. Sure, it was kind of awkward, but it was so beautiful. In this first season of Between Sundays, we are tracing the creative urge. And the cool thing about creativity is all of the places it shows up. In ritual, in connection, in coffee culture, in music. Today, I am speaking with Ben Putt, one of the owners of a Calgary coffee shop known as Monogram. And there's enough about Ben's business and barista experience to carry this entire conversation. But... What is also so cool about Ben is that he's a real deal musician. You'll hear Ben and I talk about the funny parts of our own stories and how they shape us, how a homeschooler became a world barista champion and a big tent musician, and how music performance and barista competition give space for ritual and connection. Also, stay alert to the little proverbs of wisdom Ben so casually throws into the conversation. There are many treasures here. A note about timing. Ben and I had this chat just after the Calgary Stampede that comes up, and I swear halfway through. It's minor, but you should know that it's there. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Between Sundays. Welcome to the conversation. So let's kind of dive in into sure. our beginning. Yeah, great. Uh, I would love to hear you talk a little bit, like if you have a story of your earlier time in life, your childhood, that's like formative. Like if you could share your introduction by way of some kind of story as a kid. Oh, that's What could that be like? There, There's like a... Um a dark secret in my past that's not really dark, but it's more of just a very nerdy secret that okay. I, I think, I think like if you know some of my upbringing, a lot of like how I behave and how I think sort of comes out of that. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I was, I was homeschooled my entire life. Okay. So from like, like birth to when I went into university, I never saw the inside of a classroom and also didn't really have like um, a super tra traditional school experience. Yeah. Um, so you can do school in Alberta, you can do school by the books at home, but okay. you can also do it sort of their own way. So the way we learned was, I think, quite different than other kids. My mom was a high school English teacher, so she understood sort of the fundamentals of learning. But I mm. think our approach to learning was quite a bit different. Yeah. It, was, it was sort of we knew the subjects that we needed to learn, but also 
pursued things in different ways. Okay. Um, and so coming into university was a huge change because I had um, none of the, like the the structure of things. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a jump, but um, was interesting. But then the yeah. other the other like dark the dark secret part yeah. is part of homeschooling was have you ever heard of Bible quizzing? Yes. So. So this, this I think, is a big part of my personality is I'm oh. super competitive. Okay. And okay. I was, like, an extremely competitive uh, Bible, Bible quizzer. <laughs> yeah, this is something that, like, the... I don't tell, like, non-Christians about it, but I don't feel bad because I also, like, rarely tell Christians that I Bible quiz because it's, like... <laughs> It's like the, I don't even, there's nothing nerdier than, <laughs> than Bible quizzing. There really isn't. But like it was. Yeah, give us the introduction of like what is Bible yeah. quizzing. So um, let's see if I can do this in a nutshell. Okay. So basically they pick like, a, it's generally one book or a couple books if the books are shorter. Okay. Of the New Testament. And they build um, questions from them. The, yeah. But they're basically, it's not like, it's not like who is Jesus' mom. It was like, it's directly from the scripture. So they'll okay. take it might be quote this verse or we're going to give you the first five words of a verse and then okay. you have to finish it. And it often focuses around like there's there's something called keywords where there's like a word that only appears once in that book. Oh my so gosh. if they say that word, you know, it's this spot or oh there's like key phrases where these two okay. words only ever appear. And you so you memorize these. Okay. And and so it's this weird thing where you, um, it's, I think it was celebrated for a long time that you, you memorize scripture, yeah. but it gets so extreme that you memorize it in a way that you're just almost like, like coding it. Oh, cause okay. like in, because basically you, you have to learn it word for word. So okay. it's often easy to memorize the, the words and actually not the, the meaning. Oh. Um, so like the first, I would say like the first third of you studying, you're like actually in the scriptures and okay. then like the last, once you get competitive, it's more just like, I know this This is the order of these words. And so like that, I think that um, early introduction introduction to like competitive things. Because yes. also like being homeschooled, I didn't play sports. Yes, And so okay. I think that really led me down um, the route that I'm in now with yeah. with coffee that I've competed in that as well. And, and then even music can be quite a competitive yeah. field. Yeah. Um, so I often wonder like how much... Did I did I do Bible quizzing because I was naturally competitive, oh. or did it mold me in such Into a way a... that that here I am now? That is so interesting. What ha- what happens when you tell people, like when you've accidentally told people about quizzing, like what happens on their face? There was um, like, what are you talking about? If if they know, they know, and you see like a twinkle in their eye. If they don't know, then it's a long explanation. Um, but it was like I I remember I would do it like five or six hours a day um, wow. through, through junior high and high school. So what were what was a book that you would have memorized? Um, I did I Luke, know. Hebrews, um, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Wow. Uh, there was one every year. There was I uh, John. I, I the cycle is one year more than like junior high and high school, so I didn't do Matthew. Okay. Oh, Romans and James. Oh, I can't remember goodness. all of them. And like, and the weird thing too is like, if I went, if I go back through it, I can sort of yeah. remember all of them all, but yeah. like most of it is. Yeah. Memorization, memorization is so strange. Like, yeah, that. it doesn't like, I, I can finish some stuff, okay. but it, a lot of it's gone. Cause it was oh just like, gosh. basically once you got to the next year, it's like, yeah. okay, Romans is like, you know, old news now I have to yeah. memorize this new book and you just sort of. 
It, it kind of makes me think about like people I studied in seminary with. Like, oh, I, I'm sure there's some quizzers. Oh, totally. Oh, for sure. But even just what you said about like at the the beginning part of your learning, it's sort of like the spirit of the thing. Yeah. But then the last part was just like technical and kind of divorced from the spirit yeah. of the thing. Yeah. Like I remember I always worked and studied like in seminary. So I was always like working in a church, like, or just being in the world and like had a foot in academics, but in theology. And I remember like having moments in class where I would just like, what the, yeah, <laughs> like that doesn't work with real people in real places. That kind of like off to the technical yeah. part of it was, I mean, there's a place for it most certainly, but there, there seemed to almost be like a divorce from the spirit of the thing totally. sometimes when you get like so technical. Yeah. The, the other funny part about it, so if you did well enough, you got sent to this this big tournament where all the best quizzers. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Okay. The thing that I found very funny about though is they they always called it internationals. Oh. And it was it was just Canada and <laughs> the states. But I think one time there was a bunch of missionary kids from Africa that <laughs> that came over. They were all white too. Oh um, my goodness. But they called it like you went to internationals, but it was basically just North America and. Uh, but so was it uh, like kids from across the whole country? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. these. A similar like homeschool kind of subculture it was i think often homeschoolers because they yeah. had a lot of free time <laughs> <laughs> i would say like why you have all this free time yeah. but then and then there'd be like there were like some people that were like legends like because if you did really well because like there's also like the the way it works is if you get four questions right okay you, you don't have to get any more right for the rest of the that quiz the remainder there's oh. 20 questions in the quiz okay and if you get four right you just sit down and so if you can get four right in each of your yeah. your quizzes for the day it's called a perfect day and so this was sort of the thing that you were that you were seeking and going after but like there was one guy that was really sick one year and he was in the hospital and then he studied he the whole entire time he was in the hospital so everyone knew coming in that like oh look up for him like because he got to study more than anyone else <gasps> so it was this really weird culture that is so interesting it would be a fascinating like documentary like where are they now Oh, yeah, like for where sure. are all of these quizzing kids? Like, what was their life like? Were you one of them? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Pegg. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm See, sitting right sort of here. Like, uh, <laughs> and oh, and the, I didn't even mention like the the other strangest part. So you have to like buzz in. Yeah. And so you would think like you know Jeopardy style, yeah. like you have your thumb and you just press a button. <laughs> You have a uh, like a seat, like a little, it looks like a game pad almost yeah. that you sit on and you have to lift your butt no up and that's way. how you, so you're holding the button down and then you release it and that's how you, so also everyone had like, they work on their stance. So there's, oh. there's some people that didn't study very hard, but they were very fast at jumping. Oh my goodness. Um, and so like, and even I remember like churches would like train like how fast you'd be, like they would say like wow. jump on, on this letter and Oh, and, and the other thing is um, uh, you would often enter before the question was finished. Okay. So something that you would watch is you'd never, if you saw the person asking questions forming a W, you didn't want to jump. Oh, my. Because they might say who. And then you're left with, like, if you start with that interrogative, you have no idea what the rest of the question oh is. Oh, my gosh. So you'd also train on, like, don't jump on Ws. So you'd have to, like, read lips, too. Like, there's so many <laughs> intricacies to the whole thing. And I also think it's very applicable oh my to my gosh. life, too, in that, yeah. like, the things that I'm talented at have no cross application 
in anything. <laughs> it's like I was good at quizzing. I do coffee and I yeah. play music. And it's not like, okay, I can go walk up and like right. go into a boardroom or something. <laughs> I've really narrowed the scope of, yeah. of my field. Like you take it as far as you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, that is so interesting. Can you tease out a little bit more about like how your homeschooling experience mm-hmm. sort of set you towards something? Or Yeah. Um, I think the... Spiritually, it also really mm. did a lot. I think, um, especially the generation I came from, often um, families homeschooled because they wanted to protect their kids, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when I was growing up, my parents were extremely conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember a long time ago, we went to like this talk where this uh, like creationist showed us like um, a T-Rex tooth and he's like, look how long it is. It would have broken right off if they had been another dinosaur. Like they were argue- because they they wanted to argue for like that dinosaurs coexisted with Adam and Eve, and they're like, his teeth are too long to eat any meat. Like it was definitely like a plant wow. eater. And so I I remember all that. But the I think the interesting thing and huge credit to my parents is that as um, time went on, they they shifted from this ultra conservative. Mm. So I think the the upbringing I had I was very interesting and I think it exposed me to many different um, views of Christianity Mm -hmm. but the thing I'm very thankful for is that my I think as you get older the 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 concrete starts to harden on your ideas of the Uh world and I don't think it really did for my parents so my parents views have shifted and 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 I would say much more to the the liberal side of Christianity and so I think seeing that going through it was huge but I also think seeing um the people that you spend your entire life with be able to take in new ideas and accept them and like yeah. and basically reformat their entire worldview yeah. um, is is quite huge. I think that's a really big part of people's experience here at Commons is like they're able to hold on to the things that have sort of grounded them in the past while opening up mm-hmm. and kind of leaning into larger conversations that they were like, oh, other places didn't allow me to think about this, but here I can think about these things. What do you think it is about your parents that allowed them to take a different road, like rather than hardening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a, an easy one is, uh, so I have three siblings. Okay. And we're all very, very different. Okay. And um, I think that has forced, I think that's what it comes down to. It's love. It's yeah, love is and that relationships. When, like, yeah. Because I, you, you see this all the time, that the people... If you meet someone that has like um, a negative opinion of any people group, mm-hmm. generally they don't actually yeah, no know one. that people group. And so I think from my parents, um, uh, they I think all of my siblings sort of went in different directions. Yeah. And my parents were sort of just faced with this thing. It's like, like, do you, if this, if you're, you raised your kids, yeah. you believe that you raised them well. Yeah. And this is their viewpoint yeah. of the world now. Like, how do you marry that? Yeah. Um, and I think... And so I think that's a big part of what it came down to. Yeah, they wanted to stay in relationship with their kids. Yeah. Even though their kids were different than they yeah. thought they'd be. Yeah. Sounds like life. <laughs> no, and, and it also, yeah, I think it's a, a very good lesson now that I have, I have Malcolm as well. Because, yeah. like, I, I think we all think, uh, our, we both think that our kids are, like, exceptional. Like, mm-hmm. we look at them and we think, oh, you're the smartest. Like, there's yeah. no average kids out there, right? right? Um, but then also we also sort of want, like, 
a very average life for them in terms of like life oh. events, right? Like we don't want anything to be too hard for them. Yeah. Uh, we don't want them to have to struggle through all this stuff. Yeah. And so I think there's this weird balance where like you you think your kid's above average in good things, but you think they're going to have like An the most average, average life, life in all the hardships. And I think you sort of have to balance those as well. Yeah, because we know if we're reflective that it's like the hardest stuff that makes us kind of the most kick-ass totally. <laughs> right that's yeah. like that's the stuff potentially that can shape you for being a truly compassionate human being yeah. or creative in all kinds of cool ways is because there were obstacles and then you found a creative way to go around them or mm-hmm. whatever that looks like well hats off to your parents yeah because yeah. that's amazing yeah to be able to be like mm, i preference relationship and i'll figure this other stuff out later (laughs) maybe if I even do Um, I'm really glad that you started talking about homeschooling too because I I just when you told me that bit when we were doing the coffee training I was like you must have a master's in a science of some sort and you were Mm -hmm. like oh it didn't finish high school really (laughs) yeah technically I have no high school degree (laughs) like out of the gate with surprise so then you did go to university Mm -hmm. and what was that like so I um this was also the time where, like, with no high school diploma, getting into university is slightly tricky. <laughs> um, and so, I, and basically, all these stories have, like, long side stories. This is so perfect. There was this thing in the past. So, this one, I can't remember who it was, but there was this big thing in homeschooling that you, rather than having a degree, you would make, like, a portfolio of the work that you do. Oh. And you, everyone thought that you'd hand over this giant binder and, like, the administration person would, like, go through and read right. it all. And they never did. Right. But thankfully, what what I applied for was music. Okay. So basically, if you can, like, I learned a, a Stevie Wonder tune, I played it, and they let me in. And so that was sort of it. It made it quite easy in that huh. all I had to do was play music. Um, what what instrument were you playing? Uh, I play bass. Okay. So I play electric and upright bass. Okay. Um, so I, I got in that way, but it was a huge change to be sort of in like a, a formal classroom. Mm-hmm have to depend on anyone mm-hmm. like for assignments or like I've never I'd never done a group assignment before oh, wow. um and so and even just like navigating uh, school is, is quite interesting yeah and then uh from there so I have a diploma in music and okay. then I moved to Calgary and got um a BA in music from Ambrose okay that's it yeah okay so it was in your undergrad that you made a move to Calgary yeah so I was um dating a girl at the time who is now my wife yes great uh we dated long distance for a long time and and one of us had to move and yeah and so i did and And it was you yeah good (laughs) um how did you and tara meet this is this is where this is where the the tricky part gets we met through quizzing (laughs) and so like yeah and so that that's a double double secret shame i'm sorry tara I did not know that. That's yeah. new. That's new info. So like, that's that's another one too, wow. where it's like we don't even tell many Christians that because, and then if you tell them non-Christian, they're like, like what you were in a cult or like, <laughs> like are you a child bride? I don't know. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh! So that's how you met. That's wild. Oh, Tara's that's... not homeschooled. I'll just I'll just say yeah, that, you know, <laughs> oh, save yes, some shred of dignity out. here, Tara. I mean, it's so interesting. I talk with people, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I talk with people all the time about their dating lives. People are often like, you know, trying to like sort that stuff out like you do. And 
I find myself saying more and more, like, just because somebody, like, believes these certain things or say says that they do, like, don't let, oh, this person's a Christian be a shortcut to the work of, like, oh. making a relationship that could go the long haul. Yeah. But uh, and what I'm so curious about is, like, relationships that that have the space and the trust to change as you change, mm-hmm. right? That you, you guys are clearly, like, not... The same person? The same yeah. people that, you know, you, you look back with some humor, at, like, this is where you met, but being able to form relationships that, like, I mean, I see you both in church together. You know, I don't know what is shifting on the deepest parts of your mm-hmm. own faith. I'm sure things have. Uh, but that, that like, how do, how, does, how do we go about forming intimate relationships that can, like, weather so much change in life is one of my, like great curiosity that one's really hard i i in the case of me i think a lot of it comes down to tara like i think Mm. um she's so patient and loving towards me Mm. um that i think as i've um changed as a person she's just has loved me so deeply and then if you have that then like of course you're gonna feel the same way about yeah Yeah, I like I like that. That's a good answer. <laughs> but I think that's true. It's like you you formed you did the work of intimacy. Like mm-hmm. you have a relationship that's not like, "Oh my gosh, this thing is changing about you and now it's threatening everything about us." Yep. It's like, "Oh, I love you so much. What is that change like for you?" and working that out in, mm-hmm. in a I also think together. um as you I think you have to accept that you're going to change too. So I think mm-hmm. some of it's also admitting it to yourself and mm. and being able to... Something that only really started happening in my late 20s or early 30s was being able to just like step outside and actually see how I deal with things, like where to actually get introspective on who I am as a oh. person. And I think that... And Tara helped me with that a lot too, to sort of really understand yourself. Because I also mm. think that often happens where like, we expect people to understand us. Yeah. When I don't often know if we, we really do. Ourselves. Yeah. Was there something at that stage in life that helped you kind of like look back on yourself? Um, I I think I so I'm the kind of person where I just sort of do what I want and not <laughs> and not like in um making decisions, but okay. like when I act in in social circles or like um. Like a good example, there's just so many weird stories about me. Um, so like <laughs> early on, when I was in I was in university and I was I was talking to someone, yeah. and I was done talking to them, and so I just like walked away. Walked away. <laughs> and then a friend of mine, he's like, "What were you doing? What'd you do? You just walked away from them." I'm like, "Well, I was done talking to them." Um, and so there's things like that. So like ah. so I think the I've always gone through life in a particular way, and I think we all do, but yeah. I think we rarely like really dissect what it looks like and, and mm. how it affects everything. Hmm. Ha, ha, ha. And, and so eventually you just started like... I say bye now. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is over. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> that is interesting. I was wondering, like, is there like a developmental thing that's happening there in the world or with a relationship to our age? But people were just like, you can't do shit like that anymore, man. <laughs> you need to yeah. say goodbye. Yeah, pretty Wrap much. it up. There's a social way. Yeah. <laughs> Is there more that you can say about music? Like, you know, I, I think of you as like, Ben, the coffee guy. Mm-hmm. But clearly music is this thing that has been 
like a creative force in your life, like defining your post-secondary education decisions. Um, Yeah. Um, Music for me, I'm very thankful that I have coffee because it has allowed me to stay in music because music does not, music doesn't pay very much. Right. Um, And it's also like weird hours. And even often as a musician, unless you're one of the extremely talented ones, Mm -hmm. you end up taking gigs that you don't want to play or, or teaching, which I don't, I don't mind, but it's also not why I'm playing music. Okay. And so music for me, um, has been such a interesting journey. I think, um, uh, I, I started in the church and so like Mm. that's, and so many of my early, I would say mentors were also musicians and it sort of continued that way as well. Okay. Um, and so I think, in many ways, the big thing I've got from music is is getting to... Basically, when you have, like, music lessons, you spend an hour hanging out with someone right. and, and chatting. Yeah. And um, I think that's been a, a huge part of it for me as well, is that the interesting thing about music is, yeah, you basically get to hang out with someone. The, the, the power structures, there aren't really uh, much yeah. there. So they're... Or, like, the roles are defined. Yeah. You're a teacher. I'm a learner. But um, it's not like a... Because I think in other things, you feel like someone's your boss. Okay. Um, but if you have a, if, let's say you play bass and you have a bass teacher. Yeah. They're sort of your boss, but at the same time, it, yeah. it's closer to like, I don't know if it's parental or... Mentoring. Yeah. it's it, And so I think it's a very comfortable space to hmm. to talk about things. Huh. It's true. It's kind of like, like we're here to play bass, but, oh, we're just two people. Totally. So it's almost like... Uh, yeah like it you sneak in like the interpersonal thing around or like that's like what we crave anyways yeah. or um that's kind of cool i never really thought about and i think there's that. a lot of there's a lot of mental things too in, in hmm. music where um uh like i think often like the the idea that if you play something wrong that you you're putting judgment on in that moment or how you interact with other musicians so i think that there's a lot of um mental stuff you need to deal with in music as well and even i think there's this music is also a very competitive industry okay and so i think you also have to deal with your own perception of where you are musically like it's this weird thing because it's like you have to be happy where you are yeah um otherwise you know you're gonna hate every time you play music okay but you also have to be striving towards this next step and i think that's a, a I've only recently started to find like a good balance there because oh, often when I it also makes enjoying music sometimes hard because like okay. you'll watch someone play and they're maybe they're playing like the gig that you want to be on yeah um, and you're like and and so if you see that like one of two things go through your head like he's better than me and and so either you could take that positively or negatively okay. like I need to get better right. or like oh I'm horrible or you look at it and you're like I'm as good as him like why aren't why why am i like why am i not playing that gig and so i think the music has definitely forced me to like to um face things head on Ah. and like really unpack a lot of that stuff like it's a it's a discipline of it's like a discipline of being totally or something huh that's really really interesting i don't play anything you should start. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I played piano as a kid, uh, but I did not. I came from a family that like loved to listen to music. Like my dad collected records, and that was like a big part of going to the city, like getting a new record. But 
play i wanted to learn piano because i think i was always like really interested in the arts but i didn't come from a family where anybody had taken music lessons at any point so it was very self-directed and i i think my parents just like didn't understand like i needed to like sit down and practice a lot but they were never gonna make me do that oh really never like i had to draw i drove myself to the lesson and like back home and nobody was like oh wow now it's time to practice like i would i had to direct that myself and i just didn't do it well i always like (laughs) let other things take priority but i i uh, yeah i wish i wish i would have there's a piano downstairs yeah some big ones in closets even (laughs) (laughs) um i'm really curious about the experience of performing Mm -hmm. from especially because you were just doing this at stampede um like what what did you, what have you learned about people, let's say, um, in in the realm of performance? Like, what is the human experience that's like on display for you in that? Mm. I think so. This is actually interesting because it, it's very applicable to uh, my recent stampede experience. Yeah. Okay. Is that um, so? My my big thing. So I'm a bass player. Yeah. So I have like a couple of assumptions that like, like no one, no one really knows you're doing anything. Like you're <laughs> yeah. doing your job when like people okay. kind of don't know what you're doing. <laughs> um, and so my, my big thing is like, I just want to make sure that if I'm playing bass, that everything feels very good. Nice. Like there's like a big cushion of rhythm and sound that, that musicians can just sit on and, okay. and be happy all night. And so that when I think of a performance as a bass player, I say, okay, this is this is what a bass player is to me. Okay. And so, and then this stampede, we were playing like a tent that is quite raucous yeah. and they want performance. Okay. And that's, and so, but I'm just thinking to myself, oh yeah, that's what the vocalists do. Like, and so, right. and so I, I've had to like, especially this, this last gig, because it was so focused on performance, like step more outside of what I consider to be um, a bass player's role. So I think oh. in terms of like a human perspective on performance, yeah. it's that we we have an idea of what we think performance is and it might may or may not be what, every, what the collective view of, of performance is. Can and you so, give an illustration of that? Um, I, I think... I drop it down a bit more. Yeah, so I, I think like, so for me, my, my idea of performance often is like, I'm going to lay something down so everyone in the band feels good about things and then they can do their thing. Okay. Right. So I feel, so I view my role as supportive. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, the last, yesterday was the last day and, uh, someone in the band said like, you have to perform more, like, like visually perform more. You have to like look more excited on stage. You have to move more. And so, and then when I did this, like the, it totally changed everything. Like, and so, so the role that I had, thought that uh i should be in i just actually just cast myself in um and so it's been like it was definitely an interesting stampede from that perspective that is really really interesting (laughs) but even makes me and it made me think like when i watch like performance on on like like big um big name performers yeah like how they've decided like that musician is sitting down right. and he's not doing anything. Right, right, right. Because I think, if, I guess if you have like a headliner where it's like one artist, obviously everything's right. on her or him. Um, but if you have like a band, I don't know how you decipher all the yeah. all the different 
levels of performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. Cuz like I don't I think of what we do here on the weekends as performance. Yeah, totally. Um and it's it's interesting to wonder about yeah, what's being what's perceived and what you think you're doing. Yeah. Like yeah. I think I'm doing this certain thing a certain way, but is is the perception something different especially the, in like, speaking because yeah. it's like you have your content yeah but then you also have like your way yeah. of presenting it yeah. um that can totally change totally the entire deal yeah i was thinking about um like john mulaney's latest comedy special um kid gorgeous that one uh have you seen it yeah yeah so like how he uses his body uh, like that's clearly like it's such an interesting performance the way he moves across that stage like how I, I think about like he's he's tell he's talking with his mouth, but he's talking with his body. Totally. And the camera angle is so interesting too as it moves with him and like he's not a big man, but he has this like stride yeah. in it that he's like striding across the stage. Yeah, I don't know how I'm putting these. Are you gonna together, are you gonna apply it to Yeah, I know I was like build me a bigger <laughs> stage. <laughs> Right. It's 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 interesting because we have a very small platform yeah. and a camera that's, you know, uh, like pointed at a certain place that you kind of need to stay in the frame for. Um, so what are these other ways that we express ourselves? Yeah. Performance. I'm interested in that. Um, and I was really curious about your experience, knowing that this was like a big week mm -hmm. of performance for you. Um do so I'm gonna like make a big stretch of a question, yeah. but like I, you know, thinking about this sort of venue where you played with like people drinking and partying and like having a great time, like how lively that kind of show is. Do you have moments where you see something of the divine in that? Hmm. Like what is what is sacred? Could we name things as sacred in that experience? Um, I think, I think anytime you have you have traditions, I think they ah, can definitely be sacred. Okay. And I I think Stampede has become that for many people. Yeah. And it was really interesting. So this was the first time we were playing like a big tent, and um, there's the company that that owns it all. They bring back the same people year after year. Basically, if you want to do it, they'll let you do it again. Hmm. Do it again. So there were people that had played it like had been involved for like the past 12 years and so i think i think you can see those moments in in when people have traditions and i think stampede right. has has some of that interesting um and i, like I think that. even as it happens with a band that you play that every single year mm. and i think you can find those especially in music there's like these moments where like and i think it's in the crowd too where like like all the little mm. inexplicable factors like yes. align like yeah the music is sitting right where it should yeah and the Something crowd is that yeah yeah open. and the crowd's at like a certain moment and yeah and i think some of those moments are like they're very special and they're very yeah. rare and i think they're they're why people still go to live music so much yes. is like those those moments that you remember and and you can't get from an album right 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 where it's just like there's something like widely connected totally yeah. yeah something beautiful yeah um that's cool i wondered about that so let's talk about coffee sure how did coffee come into your life yeah so 
the the running joke I have is that I've picked the two highest paying careers, I guess, other than you know, ministry <laughs> yeah. uh, of coffee and music. So I I didn't even like coffee, but my oh sister my worked at a second cup. And it was like an easy way for me to get it up. So I started working there. And this is like long enough ago that it was before like you could just look up Latte Art on like YouTube or Instagram. Mm -hmm. And my boss brought in like, and like he had cut out a newspaper article about Latte Art. And I didn't even, I, there's like one photo. I'm like, I'm going to learn this, this thing. <laughs> and so this, I was still lived in Edmonton. It's like you were competing against Totally. I was stranger. like immediately, <laughs> immediately like the, like the competitive side of me clicked on. So I practiced and practiced and practiced. And that was, that was still in Edmonton. I eventually learned how to um, pour latte art. And I had like a little film camera. Okay. And I would take, like take photos of them. And like I sent some of them to Tara. And then when I, and then when I moved to Calgary, like the one thing that I had done like for the past two or three years was in co working coffee. And Calgary had a bit of a better coffee scene. There was a, a shop that was making pretty good coffee. So I applied there and, and actually like stapled like my latte <laughs> to my resume, which is, you know, it worked. So I guess it went okay. Um, and then I just kept working in coffee while I was through school. Like mm -hmm. I worked full time while I was in school. And um, the, the thing that initially interested me in coffee and still does is coffee is one of those fields that um, first of all, you are never, ever done learning. Like ah. The field is, is too vast um, that you will never be done. And so no. the more you know, the more you know that you know nothing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, that I think it's so... It, it cuts through so many different disciplines Ooh. that almost anything you... I, I tell this to people, and I really do believe it, that anything you want to learn, I think you could learn through coffee. Wow. Because if you think about it, it's like historical there's a bunch yeah. of science in it yeah um economics like yeah it's super social yeah. like any any field that okay. you might be interested in i'm sure you could find huh. a job in coffee and so i also find that interesting, interesting too that if my interest in life wax or wane i think i would always be able to be fulfilled through coffee huh because there's enough difference in that i field. yeah i really think there's everything yeah. in coffee. for a learner like yeah. a self-guided learner yeah <laughs> like yourself <laughs> Huh, that is really neat. So tell tell us, uh, tell me the kind of genesis of Monogram. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had worked in coffee for, what would have been at that point? Like nine, 10 years, 11 years or something okay. like that. Um, and was working lots and, and had like a, a job in quality control where I basically did whatever I wanted and really enjoyed it. But the, the big thing that kept coming back was the job that I was doing was not a job that I could do when I was like 40 or 50. Mm. And so, and this is a big problem actually in coffee is that we, the industry has been built around sort of this revolving door that like oh. you hire, you hire a barista that's going through school under the assumption that they will go on to their like real job. Because mm -hmm. um, right. I even it's think like, like if someone tells you like, if you meet someone that's university age, you say, what do you, what do you do? And they say, oh, I'm like, I'm a barista. You, you think like, okay, you're in school and, you know, right. and once, once you're done, you're going to yeah. move on. And so this is the problem that myself and then my two business partners, Justin and Jeremy, I think mm. both were, all of us were struggling with this idea of like, what's the, what's the long, the long mm -hmm. um, goal on this? And so we decided to sort of start a, a company together. We didn't really know what it would look like or what it would be. Mm -hmm. We, when we first announced that we were starting something, 
this guy who was a friend of mine called us up and said like, I have a space that's an art studio right now and I don't want it and, and you should take it. And we saw it and it was like 400 square feet. Mm-hmm. We'd never been there before. It was like this, this like kind of ugly strip mall. And then, and when we first started building, like my friends would call me up and be like, don't go in there. You're going to go bankrupt. I was like, oh no. And then we opened it and it, and it was, and it was like very successful and, yeah. and went, um, and like sort of took off. And so yeah. I think my initial goals around coffee were, were largely personal, sort huh. of this idea of, um, try, building something so I could stay in it. Huh. Um, but as, as time's gone on, like, I think that the goals of the business have gone beyond that. So tell me, let's go back a little bit. Like what, how, what were the things that surprised you about, like what worked about that spot and that place, mm-hmm. being your first monogram site? Yeah. I, I think there's, there's one like boring one and one interesting Kay. one. Okay. The boring one is that uh, people drive cars. And like, yeah. and so I think that's something that I see lots in Calgary is that people often want the the center ice high retail location yeah but if you have to pay especially in coffee if you're paying more for parking than you are for your coffee you you don't want to do that and so we've for the most we have a location downtown that sort of like breaks that mold a bit but um we've all the locations we look at we really try and figure out um, can people park yeah can people park there i think the more interesting one is i think the focus has gone back on like having um, neighborhoods and community. Mm-hmm. And so basically the, we had a neighborhood coffee shop and then okay. the neighbor the, and the neighborhood really rallied around it. We'd it still like, have people coming from outside the neighborhood. Like right. it, it is a little bit of a destination, yeah. but at the same time, I think that's something that um, went away for a long time. And yeah. I think it's, it's interesting to see it coming back. Okay. I think you even see this with, with restaurants as well. This yeah. idea that you have like, uh, this is the the community hub, yeah. and I think we've sort of lost those. Right. And I I think people still want them. Yes. Yeah. And I don't. We didn't identify it being like this neighborhood needs okay. community. Okay. But once we started there, um, it became apparent that that co- coffee's ability to build community yeah. is something that um, Monogram is really focused on, and okay. it's one of the things that I think has made us successful. Okay. Huh. Um, I was thinking about the art on your little travel mugs that you guys have too. You've like even done some branding around. Yeah, the new ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, we we have uh, three locations. Yeah and, yeah, and there are we commissioned an artist to take. Um, we basically canvassed a bunch of our customers and oh. said like, what do you consider the important features of this neighborhood? Oh. And some of them were like different buildings, or it could be like one of our locations is close to a dog park, so okay. that mug has dogs on it. There's okay lots of people that cycle through. And so we took all the elements of the, like what is the thing that makes this neighbor, like Altador is one of our shops. What makes Altador, Altador? And then we put all of that on On a little mug. mug. Yeah. I haven't bought one, but I picked them up and I think these are adorable. And they're neat to look through because sometimes I even find stuff um, that I like didn't realize what it was, which is kind of fun. Oh, that is really neat. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. So it's like it can deepen your own experience. Yeah. The neighborhood by seeing what the art is that's very cool um and so monogram's been around for how long uh we're coming up on five years it's like five years at the end of summer that's wild so um so you've competed Mm -hmm. in coffee which is one of the things i want to keep talking about the place of competition 
in, well, in coffee, but like, what can we learn about creativity and kind of the creative urge in competition? Like, I think, I, I think I don't have a very good sense of my own, like competitive streak because I didn't kind of do like the typical competitive things. Like I don't play sports. I didn't compete in music things. But I'm really quite driven. Like, like I'm competing with myself and some, you know, some other things, which is interesting. But, but you have been around the world competing in barista championships. Yep. Is that what we call it? Yep. World barista and true yeah true this is what is interesting to me (laughs) i was i was trying to see how to how to pull this this narrative around this that like from homeschooling and sort of a a disposition of like fear and caution right Mm. around the culture of homeschooling to like way over here this competitive um like the way that you travel with your family like very global sort of embrace of something i don't know how to form the (laughs) thing but i was like the theme here is really interesting from like yeah that that way of being in the world to like this other way of being in the world but let's talk about coffee let's talk about competition what's it good for so in a i'll try and do this very quickly. <laughs> so the the idea of a barista competition. Yeah. So you have fifteen minutes to okay. make. Yeah. To, thank you, because I actually don't. Yeah. Know what it is. Even. Totally. Okay. Yeah. So you have fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. You have four judges that drink everything, so they're basically your customers. Okay. You have to serve each of those four judges an espresso. Okay. A drink with milk in it. Okay. And then a drink that can contain anything you want, as long as it has espresso in it, and it can't contain any controlled substances. So okay. You can't have. Alcohol. Okay. One year, the world was in Amsterdam, and technically, you could have put marijuana in the no drink. No way. No one went for it, but you know, oh, okay. they're lost. Okay. Um, and so, during this time, they are scoring you on how good your drinks taste, okay. like if they're delicious or not. But they're also scoring you on your ability to describe the drinks. This is so, what I, I think yeah. I googled you. So this is sort of like <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> like, oh, he's talking more than yeah. I thought. So yeah. you know. Uh, so, like, Babe Ruth could hit a home run. Yeah. But it's so much cooler when he points to where it's going to go, right? Okay. And so that's sort of the thing that they're saying is, like, oh. it's not enough for me to serve you something good, but I have to say, like, this is what you're going to taste, and also this is why it's going to taste oh. the way it does. So you get higher points if you do that. If you just make something good and you show no mastery or, like, oh. I did this on purpose, you okay. don't get the same points. And then the entire – and then throughout that 15 minutes, yeah. you are talking about a, a topic of your choosing. It can oh. literally be – anything it should be about coffee but there's actually not even a a rule rule. for that like you'd get a very low score if it wasn't on coffee but you can but you can also talk with any like coming back to the the coffee i think has like every academic discipline in it yeah you could talk about anything so often people might talk about the cafe they might talk about like agronomy they can you can talk about anything and so you also get scored on your your knowledge and your ability to be an ambassador for especially okay and then you, if you go over 15 minutes, you lose uh, a point a second up to 60 seconds and then you're disqualified. Oh. So this is this other weird thing where you don't gain additional points for being fast. Okay. So basically you need to fit as much content into 15 minutes exactly. Okay. So, so there's some, there's something here about limitation and like that, that when we put limits on something, it can be a good thing. Like mm-hmm. I think sometimes we have this reaction to limit that's like, I don't want any limits give me all the freedom yeah but there's there's a lot of limitation on a competition like this 
that seems to be good. Would you I, say I think, good? yeah, the really neat thing about it is um, the talking part. So basically, oh. so you, so often barista competitions are used to um, present new ideas or new views on coffee, oh. but you have 15 minutes to do that. So that's it's interesting. Like, so it has this like academic totally. space because so, that's what academia should be, right? Yeah. This place of newness and new ideas and like exploration. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So basically you're bringing, especially this happens at the world competitions all the okay. time, is that people are often bringing something that they've been working on. Oh. But if you think about it, if you have a, a complicated idea, so yeah. this is the other interesting thing because you have... Your, your panel of judges, especially on like the national and regional level, okay. they have they come from a wide variety of backgrounds. Huh. So some of them might be baristas, some of them might be like green buyers, and so you can't you can't assume oh. what they know or don't know. Okay. Um, so basically, you have fifteen minutes to take a complicated idea and condense it, and okay. I think that's sort of the beauty of the limitations yeah. in it is that you have to find a way to describe it simply. <laughs> Otherwise, you will lose them right away. Right. So, Basically, what you have to do in a barista competition, in my opinion, is in the first couple minutes, you're sort of introducing yourself. And okay. the way I sort of describe it is you tell the judges, this is where we're going. Yeah. And then the rest of the time, it's, it's you, you taking going there. there. Yeah. Which is like what we try to do with a good sermon, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to take you there. Now let's go there. Yeah. I mean, it, there are tons of ways you could introduce a thing, but um, that can be fun to be like, ultimately, we are going here. Yeah. Um, and that's really cool. And how often have you done that? So I haven't competed the last two years. Okay. I competed for, I think, seven years. Okay. So, it, like, it's this weird, it's this weird thing. There's different levels. So, oh. so if you, there's regional competitions. Okay. So every country sort of structures them differently. But yeah. in Canada, there's a, a Western region, which is generally, like, Manitoba to Vancouver. Okay. And then there's the east, which is um, uh, Manitoba to the uh, Maritimes. Okay. And and then if you do well in those, you get to go to the national competition. If you go to, and if you if you win, they only send one person. Oh. So it's sort of like the Olympics. Every country sends one oh representative, yeah. and then everyone competes at Worlds. So for the first uh, four years I competed, I made it to, to nationals, Three of those four years, I got second. Okay. Um, and then the last four years I competed, okay. I got to world. So it's this weird thing too where like oh, wow. you you do like fairly well and you're like, oh, I wish I could do a bit better. And then you, know, you and so yeah. like, because the goal always like grows. Just to get there, yeah. Like initially my goal is just to like, I was like, oh, if I could win nationals. Yeah. It's this weird thing with like trying to be happy with what you have too. Like, ah. I'd be like, if I could just win nationals, yeah. then I'd be happy. And then like you go to worlds and you're like, oh, if I could just make finals then i'd be happy <laughs> and so like there's also this thing that you all have to face where it's like like will you i understand now that like like i still will probably compete again yeah but i also understand that there's the you have to find fulfillment in it without having like always the next goal or something. ah interesting interesting would you say that's there's like some general wisdom in there yeah the competition yeah. like barista competitions definitely can can kick your butt and there's huh. lots of ego check too because sometimes uh, like basically you go in thinking that you're making them something delicious yeah. and sometimes like you you get your you get like a score sheet back oh, where, it's, okay. where it's like written up yeah. sometimes you get your score sheet back and they like did not like it tore you to shreds really yeah so there was this one year 
Yeah, tell me the story, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the, so you get scored on zero to six. Okay. So zero is defined as like completely unacceptable. Oh. Um, and then a six is like basically perfection. Like okay. a, a six is very rare and so is a zero. And so okay. I was serving, it was my first worlds. And there's this one judge. And like you sort of like, as you're serving them, sort of like a customer, you, you try and read them a bit. Okay. There's this one judge that always looks so happy. And so you often like, you tend to give them more attention too. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know these other three judges, what they think of me. But this one judge, like, really- I've got this one in the bag. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to get a great score from her. And then I get my score. And I didn't, so I was in semis. Like there's different rounds. I was in okay. the semifinals. And I didn't make finals. And then I get my scores back. And she had given me like a one in espresso, which is like the most important drink of all of them. And a one is, there's no half points from one to zero. So she basically Aww. gave me like the second lowest score you can give <laughs> anyone. And that like definitely, it's really weird because you really mm-hmm. have to face like the fact that like you, this person is trained in, in their field. Like right. the, the judges know what they're doing and genuinely disliked what you made them. Uh, Which so it's definitely like a, it, it humbles you quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, like did, did it feel like a failure? It, um, I think so. I, the other thing is that you, I think in, in lots of things in life, you play out the best case scenario. So you imagine going on to this and going on to this. Uh, and so, because we don't really, in life, we rarely like, we don't, well, we don't fantasize about losing, right? Right. And so I think it's easy, like we were talking about like, here's here's where we're going here's the yeah. path yeah we imagine the positive one all the time yeah we and have so, to be the hero yeah in stories like you couldn't really live if yeah you totally like- <laughs> and so things sort of fall off the rails when oh, when life doesn't go the way you yeah, want because shocking. you you've never imagined it yeah um you've never like imagined what it feels like when it just doesn't happen right and right, i think right. that's the weird one is because like your your brain doesn't really have a space for it. Right. Your brain built a lot of spaces. That's interesting. For like, yeah, for like your the synapses are just like wow. Yeah, it's just like oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild. So there would there would be some like some like cycles of grief in that. Yeah. Like it's also the weird thing too is that the the world is a yearly competition. Okay. So once it's done, it's done. Yeah. Uh, and then you spend like. You go home and have a bunch of time to think about it. <laughs> like <laughs> to a, let it roll around. Like an head. athletic competition. Totally. Like, yeah. yeah, which is always hard to imagine people working so hard to get to this thing. And then like one small thing goes wrong. Especially I can't. The Olympics is yeah. the crazy one. Four like years four, later, maybe if you're in the years. right age yeah. and health and uh, yeah, that is wild. Uh, do you have some, let's see, have I asked you all about competition? I, I, I kind of want to ask the same questions again about uh, what do you kind of learn about humanity in that kind of competitive space? And then, like, is there anything about the divine or, like, the sacred that you would, mm. you know, sort of yeah. sense in these? Like, we've talked about it in a performance space, but what about in a competitive space? Yeah. Um, let me think for a minute. Yeah, humanity first. Yeah, I think in the... In competition, there's a, a whole bunch of things that go on in terms of like um, interpersonal relationships mm. and people. So the, f- the first one is you you have a team built around you. And so I think um, that team you work with all the time. And like people from here, yeah. in your life, in yeah. your work. Okay. Yeah. And so 
the the interesting thing there too is that they sort of take on all your expectations oh. and, and hopes and dreams as well and i think right. that's been um a really interesting thing yeah. that you it it's viewed as like a solo sport but really is very oh. much a, a team sport it's because like, like race card yeah us. it totally is because yeah. you also have like a cart that you you have to fit everything you're going to serve on this one cart and depending on like where you are in the world sometimes that cart's gigantic and sometimes it's tiny oh wow so so there's there's definitely this this team aspect to it okay um i I also think the it's like a very good exercise um in empathy as well i i think something that i i don't know if i'm the best at but i i strive to try and be good at this is i think um one of the hardest things in life is to be like a gracious and good winner as well. Oh. Like, cause I think when you lose, unless you lose really, really poorly, yeah. the spotlight is immediately shifted off you. Yes. So like losing even a, like a, a poor sport or a poor loser, it's, I, in my opinion, it's not really, they yeah. have to deal with it. Right. right. Like they have to go back and it's, it's usually their closest friends that have to deal with it. Right. So like if I lose and I, and I take it really hard, it's probably my family that's mm-hmm. going to bear the brunt of it. And so we sort of have to deal with it on our own. It, but when someone wins, they're immediately pushed into the right. spotlight. And I think that's like, in my opinion, that's one of the harder things to do is to have the empathy to realize that like in winning um, or succeeding, there's a bunch of people that like you've just cut that, that path that wow. they had. Um, and so I think that's sort of a big thing in coffee has sort of been yeah. that thing where I... I don't know if I've always been the best at it, but this idea of like, how can you win in such a way? Because ultimately, if you win, it's because other people have lost. Yeah. Um, how do you win in such a way that you are a gracious and empathetic winner? That's profound. I don't know how. To, I don't have an answer. But right. it's we ought, we talk about so much about yeah. being able to deal with losing. Yeah, loss. And but it's definitely just like a. I think it has has an impact on you. Yeah. Um, but if you're a bad winner, you're actually impacting a whole lot more people. Right. The like integrity of the person really comes through. Yeah. And well, I don't know that I would want to second guess someone's integrity just because they got like <laughs> a little overexcited because they won a big competition. But, <laughs> you never but know. it's sort of like this. Yeah. This place that would show you some parts of yourself. Totally. That you'd be really aware of in that moment. Do yeah. you have any like any ideas about how you hold that space um gracious and good i think at least as it comes to coffee i think um it's easy to i think we do this in life and i think it's both good and bad is Mm. that when we succeed or even i heard this on the radio like everyone if you ask people to like evaluate themselves like everyone probably says like i'm a bit above average yeah and so that and that's it's literally impossible (laughs) and so i i think I think often what happens when you succeed hmm. is that you um, feel like you've been branded with like a special mark, mm-hmm. that there was something, some quality yeah. that you possessed that no one else did. Yeah. And I think there's, I think that, I don't want to disparage that because yeah. I also think that there are, I think people often need those moments where you hmm. feel unique. Because hmm. if you, if everyone just, if everyone felt average, huh. I feel like it it would be really hard. Okay. So I think those moments of feeling unique are, are really good. But I also think you need to realize that maybe you just won because that one little thing huh. changed. And to me, that's sort of striking the balance. Sort of finding like yourself. Finding joy in being <laughs> successful in something, mm-hmm. but also having being able to step back and be like, 
like the, on this one day mm. maybe i was like a bit above average huh. like and i but i don't but know where is that what humility sounds like yeah yeah i don't or know like, where that balance is yeah. though yeah how do you tell the truest story yeah that exactly. you can tell about without yeah kind of that it's not your ego that necessarily is like the the primary storyteller in that moment mm-hmm. or or you're like keeping it in check with some other traits yeah like, like it comes down to like our society always wants the the best of something yeah. right like you see this and you see this happen in barista comps all the time is that sometimes people will win or lose by like time okay so like for example if like i maybe i made not as good drinks but the other person that competed went over over time and so oh yeah so suddenly they're like considered the they're the best right and so our our society only cares about like who who was first who won despite not knowing exactly like why it came out the way it did and i also like i think that's it's common in coffee too it's like what's the the best coffee in the world what's the most expensive coffee in the world and so our i think our society is focused on the ultimate huh. um, and i think that's also sort of like an an interesting thing to deal with yeah yeah so uh, what could we what could we say it's interesting to use that language the ultimate um to, to wonder about what we see of the divine in the competitive spaces that we make oh yeah world. yeah i th- i think for me um I think it's sort of this weird thing like the um that as you go through life you there's this weird balance of like feeling and believing like your steps are guided and and that you have a path but then also having this this realization that like life is chaotic and Mm -hmm. and and not everything not everything in life has like a a purpose and a meaning Mm -hmm. and I think that's like um like it reminds me a lot of job mm. where like at the end of it at the end of it all like he still lost mm-hmm. so many people yeah. um and went through so much and so i think there's this weird thing where we often want to believe that everything that's done that's good for us mm-hmm. happened for a reason and yeah. and i think often it's not it's not that there's no it's not that like life is meaningless or that mm-hmm. there's no guided steps but also realizing that um something sometimes things just don't work out Mm -hmm. and you have to you have to like work through it huh i think that's the big one is often like i've felt like oh yeah this this is the year that i'm gonna i feel it right like i feel like i feel like this thing happened and that's like a sign that that i'm gonna that this will happen and then it all like and then it all falls apart and and maybe that is the like the the path that it's supposed to be on but maybe it's also i think sometimes it's just not the path and and it's not even a path right i think that would be something that a lot of people sort of have a sense for but don't know how to talk about it's a really weird one like Mm -hmm. it's one i think about a lot especially in like in stuff things that are so goal orientated Mm. where it's like it is either a yes you did it or a no Mm -hmm. you you didn't do it this Mm. um and i think most our lives are quite a bit like this where they can sometimes just feel like so much in flux Mm -hmm. and i think there is some truth to the fact that it is flux like yeah our universe is is chaotic and crazy yeah um and i think uh, one of the hardest things in life is trying to find like uh uh 
a sense of peace or rest in that yeah. idea. Right. Like we want everything to work out. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it, it often yeah. doesn't. And but like back to the Job story, like the answer he gets is like, look how pretty the world is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, rather than like, what about the, all these people I lost? And like all the questions I asked you, you didn't really answer them. <laughs> I find it one of the most confusing. I find it both the most confusing and also like one of the most applicable yeah. books ever. Yeah. Yeah, that like something about beauty and awe and wonder can address like the the horror and yeah. the chaos of life. Yeah. But it's not like A plus B equals C. Yeah, and there's totally not a happy ending. No, no. Right. There's some restoration, but it's not a whole new it's not a whole new life. Like it's yeah. you know, some here's a Try again. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's super weird. Hopefully your skin's healed <laughs> up a bit, bud. <laughs> right. Um, I, yeah, I think that there's something kind of profound in that. Uh, yeah, what is a plan? What isn't? Will I know? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to live in successes and failures? And like, especially this middle space. Yeah. Yeah. And I even think... Um, when when I've spent a lot of time thinking about successes and failures and what I mm. consider good things that happen in my life and, and mm. bad things that it's also like very much in like um, a Western narrative where it's mm. like I feel like I did like the, the and I I think everyone has like their own personal feeling on on something mm-hmm. I I don't think you can discount that someone genuinely feels sad or if they've lost a coffee making competition yeah. but also this idea that we're so we get to have so much control over our lives sometimes mm-hmm. that we often forget how much we really do. Yeah. Like the fact that I can go compete and do this yeah. and that. Yeah. And that even when my life does feel like it totally went off the rails, like I yeah. still, yeah, you have I still have like a agency. lot of yeah. control on it. Yeah. Um, and so like, I don't, I don't think you would necessarily have to like completely abandon it. I think yeah. that's the other very hard thing I find in, in all the, the creative things is this idea that, the thing that we're pursuing, we also have to realize that, like, we, yeah, we have a lot of agency mm-hmm. um, living in the place where that we, we do. are. Yeah, yeah, a lot of privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're gonna uh, start to wind it down. Uh, oh yeah, I had written in my notes that. Uh, so I already kind of mentioned this like small world to kind of like large world, but I was like, it's like we could make the movie of your life, <laughs> like the life of Ben Putt, like this like. Bible quizzing guy. You know, there's like such compelling narrative here. Um, But I'm wondering, what are you currently uh, learning and loving and sort of reaching for Mm, these days? What's firing me up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think a, a big thing for me being competitive and having goals, hmm. I feel like I have spent a lot of my life living it like two years ahead. Oh. Um, and, I, and I find it really hard to like, um, to be in moments and just like enjoy them for what they are. Huh. So I'm the kind of person where like, if I've had a relaxing day, at the end of the day, I'm like, but I didn't, I didn't do this and I didn't yeah. do that. And so like, what have I gained from this day? Yeah. And so the the big thing that i've enjoyed lately is those moments where i can realize that that's where my my mind tends to wander to and actually like sit 
like fully in a moment. Um, mm -hmm. That for me is like very hard to do. Yeah. Because um, I've always, I've always just thought like you spend your days like getting better at mm -hmm. things or, or doing something. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, but then I also realized like, what am I, what am I really doing on this right. for? Um, so that's been super enjoyable. I think the, I've taken, because I've taken time off from competing, mm. it's opened some doors where I've coached some people, oh, nice. which has been okay. really eye-opening and interesting. So okay. last year I coached um, a competitor from Switzerland oh. and I coached a Panamanian competitor. No way. Um, so, so that's been neat, like getting okay. to How be does on that like, come up? Did they just send you a message? Would you coach me? It's super random. So okay. like, um, I coached one guy two years ago, the Switz guy, and he yeah. got third, and then he got sixth in the world. Okay. Um, and he just sent me a Facebook message. Wow. And then, and I told him like I've never coached anyone yeah. like that competitively before. Yeah. It might not, it might not go well for you, but I'm like I'm willing to give it a go. Also, have you heard about the Book of Luke? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do my exact training re regime. Um, and generally, it's just like if you, huh. so that it like the coffee world is its own like little tiny okay. world that you know all the players yeah and so if you've coached isn't if you, it funny how we have these subcultures? oh it's super weird it's like so funny. the people like i'll see someone and be like scared to go up to them yeah. and like no one knows who they are like, and no one and no one really cares it's awesome um but as, as time goes on like so now that i've coached someone okay. and they've done well like okay. if someone wants to do well then they'll they'll probably look for a coach yeah okay oh that's interesting so Sorry, where did, where were you? Oh yeah, so that, that, that's that, the other thing that I've been yeah. enjoying lately is, oh, yeah. is getting to being in another be on the, part of that. Yeah, the other side because often, like when you're competing, so I've I've never had like a I've had people helping me, but I've never had like a, a coach to help build the whole thing. Oh. And so norm, when you compete, you're taking your idea and you're building it from scratch up to something, and it's been really interesting to have someone come and be like, "This is what I want to do," and then you mm. sort of find a way to to add your own influences oh, to that so okay. it's been the collaborative process has been oh, really yeah. interesting oh man i bet we could have a whole other conversation about collaboration oh yeah i mean for you're sure. in business with people yeah another time <laughs> <laughs> uh so what advice would you give to somebody sort of starting a new creative endeavor uh like myself starting a new creative oh, yeah. endeavor or anyone who is like i want to try something new make some goals step out i i think step out is actually one of like is it is one of the biggest ones that huh. like all the 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 things i've the things that i'm good at i didn't know that i would be good at <gasps> really ben? um yeah because like music was just something that i sort of did and then uh it was the way i got into university wow. basically and coffee was like this this random thing because right. it wasn't my goal to always to do coffee yeah right to be doing coffee right, right now right right and so I think that, yeah, to just step out and do and huh. do something and try something. Right. Um, and I think, I think we often discount, as we get older, we, we downplay our ability to to do new things and try new things. Mm. And I think that's a huge one. Is and it's something I'm really bad at. That if I think I'm going to be bad at something, I won't do it. I don't even try. And so yes. I, yeah, I think that I think that's super, huh. super huge. Yeah, that there's like even if you're not the best at it, there's something for you. Yeah. In the experience. Yeah. And I think the other thing is to try and find, to have your goals, but to find like join, try and find joy and fulfillment in like mm. the actual act of, hmm. of doing it. Yeah. Um, and I also think like 
bite-sized pieces. Oh, that's good. Um, like something that I've been doing lately. Like so, life's like with our son and the businesses yeah. and, and everything. Life's very busy. It is. And so, like in the past, I'd be like, I need to do this for an hour a day, and if and I don't do that, like I failed. And so, something that I've tried to do lately is like, if I have two minutes, I'll go and do the thing that I always want to do but never have time okay. for two minutes. Well, like what? Like I'll pick I'll pick up my bass for two oh, minutes. Bass. Okay. And if I play it for two minutes, okay. And that's it. And then I have to Dinner. like then I need to go get Malcolm or I need yeah. to go to work. Like I've still got two minutes in. So like, that's helpful just to be like, oh, I have two yeah. minutes. I think like our idea mm. of bite-sized pieces, like mm. they need to be like truly really tiny bite-sized. Yeah, because <laughs> no, it's this weird it's this huh. weird thing where like. I think lots of people abandon projects because yeah. they don't think they're able to do them. Yeah. Like, I even think of books too. Like, yeah. Where it's like, I'm going to read a book a week for right. like this year. And yeah. and I think if you can be like honest with what you're capable of, yeah. I think you're going to be much more fulfilled than if you set a goal that you could huh. never have achieved. Right. <laughs> you just have never achieved it. Yeah. You and, don't know what your year will hold and yeah. you know, what your week needs, but you could take two minutes to read a few pages. Yeah, and I think, yeah. like, if it's something you actually enjoy, if you get mm. to do two minutes of it a day, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. Pretty lucky in that Yeah. Way. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, that's my pleasure. My name is John, and I help Bobby make the episodes for Between Sundays. In an episode largely about coffee and music, there's a part where Bobby asks, where are these quizzing kids? And after silently putting up my hand, Bobby expressed surprise that I was once a Bible quizzer. I haven't really thought about quizzing at all since those days, because there's hardly anyone I know that talks about it. But for better or worse, this was a big part of my life in high school, and Ben pretty much described it perfectly. It was wild to revisit those times, and I wanted to thank Ben for that. Between Sundays is a production of Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network. Bobby Sockold is the host, and Jonathan Peckow is the producer. Artwork by Angie Ishak. Special thanks to Ben Putt for coming to hang out with us. You can follow us on Instagram at BTW Sundays. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>